Hey, I'm Madeline Butini, the host of 1-800-MADBUT. I'm a visual artist from Australia on a conversational journey to call up and talk with the best artists, entrepreneurs and visionaries of our time. Join myself and my guests as we unravel the stories behind their breathtaking creations and groundbreaking businesses. Make sure to check out our Instagram for extra show notes. You can view it at 1-800-MADBUT. All right, cool. Let's get into it. Hey, Beck, how are you going? Good, thanks, Madeline. Good to see you or hear you. Yeah, so good to see you and hear you as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I have seen you around the Brisbane art scene uh, for about a year or two now since I've kind of re-emerged into my art. So it's really awesome to get you on. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, I'm a little bit, I'm like, I don't know, I'm a little bit intimidated because you do have your own interviewing process. So. I will be asking oh, you for feedback afterwards. <laughs> oh, no, look, I, I'm so excited to actually be interviewed for once because I'm always doing the interviewing. And so uh, it's, it's wonderful to be, uh, to be asked and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. All right, so let's jump into it. So this is the first question that I ask everybody. It's tell us who you are and what you do. Okay, so that is an ever-evolving um, form for me. I've been multiple things uh, at multiple times and everything at once. So I studied uh, uh, painting at the Queensland College of Art in the 80s. Woo! That's when it was really <laughs> happening back then. And, um, and from then I evolved. I, I painted for some time. I had a few exhibitions and then I met a juggler. And so... The juggler and I went overseas together and then I learned how to fire twirl. <laughs> I became Saluna Intergalactic Fire Babe, believe it or not, and had a fire show and used to jump out of a clam and do a fan dance. And um, I kind of learned how to perform and be spontaneous and clown almost. And at the same time, I was always collecting portraits of people. Like I still love to draw, to draw and paint portraits as well because I've always been really, um, I guess, so intrigued by humans and who they are and what makes them tick and then um from there i went into um i realized that what i really had was this superpower where people would tell me everything and so i thought well what's a really good thing that i could do with this just this innate ability and i created this show called love tv where i became aphrodite the goddess of love and people told me their stories their love stories and that became a large public installation. And since then, I've evolved into an arts media journalist. And now I'm moving into politics. So it never, ever ends. Yeah. <laughs> the, the evolution is forever. <laughs> I love this. I like, I just think it's so good. Also, my dad also studied at QCA in the 80s. Get so out. We, yeah, we might I know. know each other. <laughs> I know. Um, so I know, but I think it's awesome because I think as a creative, like it's always really difficult to put yourself into one box and mm. to be like, this is what I'm going to be. And then you do it for a bit and you're like, oh, actually, I kind of want to like, like, I feel like I'm evolving and changing kind of like our art styles do. It's almost like, you know, I don't know. I've, I just have a lot of friends who are like, I'm going to be an accountant and I'm going to be accountant forever. And I'm like, all the power to you. Like, I love that you can do that but that's like not me so hearing from someone else who's as successful as you are 
that you've actually been able to like evolve and merge into these different types of career styles. I mean, that just sounds incredible, right? Mm, mm. Well, it's, I guess for me, you know, I really, I'm a bit of a risk taker. I love to push the boundaries of, of what I believe is possible. And I love to do things that are impossible. So um, when you, you know, kind of combine all those things, like I've, I've always sort of not settled for, you know, I guess there's been a, not a dissatisfaction, but there's always been like an uncertain, you know, underneath everything, an uncertainty and an unease with who I am and what am I really meant to be doing? I mean, I think a lot of people go through that. A lot of creatives have that. And, you know, there are periods of my career where I would just think, oh my God, I'm just kidding myself. Like, why don't I just grow up and get a real job? And then I would sort of like, find this other thing that captured my imagination and I would would go for it and you know it would take me on another journey so I guess I've always allowed myself to be open to possibilities and I think that's that curiousness and that um I guess that capacity just to sort of follow my intuition has led me on many adventures and also it's been my downfall as well but <laughs> a lot of the most of the time it's been pretty good <laughs> yeah yeah no i understand that um so tell us about how studying at qca was and what that experience was like for you well i just came straight out of school really and i was always uh really passionate about art i was a little bit naughty at school i was you know i think i've always challenged the status quo so to have a, to go to QCA at back in the eighties was a great thing to do, and it, I met some really great people. But it's also people like Gordon Bennett were there, so he an incredible uh, Australian artists were you know in were in that generation, and then, but it was hard, you know, even just back then, there was very little scene in Brisbane, and there was hardly, you know, women were still perceived as. There was no really clear pathway as a for a career as a woman artist back in Brisbane. And also in the music scene, like you go and see bands and everyone on the stage was a boy and everyone in the audience was a girl. Like it was really genderized who was allowed to make work and who did make work or who felt comfortable making work. So uh, it was a it was a completely different time actually. And so it was it was hard to imagine the future if you couldn't see it. So it was um yeah. So it was hard to actually start a career as an artist in Brisbane back then. I think it's so much better and so much different now, but it's still a challenge. Yeah, no, totally. My uh, dad would always say, I mean, he was a man, so he's kind of got privilege there, but he'd always be like, man, if we had social media back in the day, like, you know, would have gotten in front of so many more eyes. But tell your dad also, you know, hello. You don't want everything recorded when you're a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty great being anonymous there too. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So do you remember how many female students were in your class or maybe at QCA? Oh, there was definitely more female students, but mm -hmm. the, the the women that went on for opportunity was, was, was a lot limited. And at that time... Yeah. You know, there's been all that work that's done at the National Gallery about Know Her Name and around uh, visual, female visual artists. And so it's really shifted. But back then, it, no one even cared. Like, an artist was basically a man. That, that yeah. was just the kind of, that was just the accepted norm. 
And of course, there are amazing female artists making incredible work. You know, there's people like Mona Ryder and, you know, women like that of her generation here in this city who still haven't been recognised, but they were like groundbreaking, like world-class groundbreaking female artists of that generation who still, I believe, have to be recognised for the work they did. So it was a different time. It was a different place. But I mean, women just make things in different ways. You know, Mona made work out of toast that she, and she made work out of mussels from, you know, the dinner she made for a family. Like, I think, I think sometimes if you're a real artist or a creative, you will find a way no matter what to make, to make what you need to make. You may not put it, find it in the place you want it to be, but you will definitely yeah. make what you need to make. Yeah. No, such true words. I would like to know a little bit more about the 2017 Senate inquiry into fake Aboriginal art, if you could tell me more about that. So at that period of time, fake art was was rampant and it wasn't illegal and it was a really big problem for First Nations people who were uh, in this country. Already, you know, we've just had the referendum and there's been so much revealed around the inequalities and the injustice that's been um, happened through colonisation here in this country. And I was working with this group of people who I was so lucky at the time, they asked me if I would go around um, to various places in Australia and interview uh, First Nations leaders around the impacts of fake art on their practice. So I got to go to WA, I got to interview people like Ernie Dingo, I got to interview people back here in Brisbane like Vernon Aki and Gordon Hookie and Richard Bell, I got to interview amazing artists in Melbourne as well. And I think I learned so much in that period of time. Uh, just, you know, you learn more in a conversation than you will reading a book or, uh, or you know, it's just having that very, like, the interaction where people can really reveal the truth of their journey and the truth of their story that you, you learn so much. And so that was, a, that was kind of the beginning of my work in so many ways, which I've now, I'm still working in different ways, but um, that was a really, that was sort of seminal times for me in understanding the issues that First Nations people faced and being able to like get my head around, I guess, how to have those conversations. Yes, I do remember. Also, that sounds incredible, by the way. Like, it was. It was such amazing. an incredible opportunity. But I do remember, I think it was maybe during COVID, there was some news articles going on, like early COVID, like 2013, 2021 there was mm. some news articles going around about um aboriginal and indigenous art or indigenous art as a whole sold to chinese comp like being made by chinese companies and then these chinese companies taking their art and then actually just mass reproducing it yes and and the artists not getting any money from it yes and i went into a store which i can't remember the name of and they had all this indigenous art that was made in china Mm, and shocking. I just kind of questioned them about it and was like, do you guys, because I had read that article and I was like, mm. do you guys actually, have you checked to make sure that this is going to the artist? And they reassured me that they had. I kind of was like, you know, hope their balances and, you know, checks and balances are getting like really thoroughly checked. Um, well, that's can, it. That, that Senate inquiry allowed it to become like a you know, illegal to do that and, and allow, you know, because it's hard to, I guess, put regulation around that if you don't have those regulations. Mm -hmm. And there was, I remember at that time, there was, 
I think it might have been a Commonwealth Games coming up and it turned out that all the souvenirs from the Commonwealth Games, which were First Nations uh, objects, were, as you're saying, made in China. So that's crazy and that has been going on forever or for the last 200 years. So it was it was a really, yeah, it was a really um, amazing time and my self-development grew fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was Ernie Dingo like? Oh, I love Ernie Dingo. He's hilarious. He's great. We still uh, we still chat every now and again. We got on really well, and he was, um, you know, he he had seen a lot and had such a big life, and he was unapologetic. And I guess the impacts that uh, of racism and the way he had been treated, and also on you know First Nations people. So it was it was a great conversation. Like they're all online. All those I actually did it all live on Facebook because live on Facebook had just come out. So uh, I got obsessed by, it. <laughs> and so you can you can find all these interviews. They're all over the internet actually. So um, yeah, Ernie Dingo and my interviews out there on Facebook in uh, I think multiple forms. Oh my gosh, I love this. I could never <laughs> do just live, but I will be linking down to all of your Facebook and website and Instagrams on the show notes. So if anybody wants to check any of that out, definitely go to the show notes and click on that. So just staying on, I guess, Indigenous affairs for a mm. moment. Um, yeah. I really loved um, Embassy by Richard Bell. Mm. I saw it at GOMA. I actually sat with it for maybe like 20 minutes, just mm. like taking it all in. Mm. And I learned through my research of, before this interview that you had uh, advocated for it in the uh, 2019 Venice Biennial. And I wanted to talk to you about that and get any insights on what that experience was like, because I just think that is actually so inspiring and mm. advocating as a you know a white woman for something miles away like literal thousands of kilometers away mm. um that is just so powerful and i think that's actually really commendable as well beck um, oh thank but, you no tell us more about that well i'd known richard for a number of years and um he had just applied for the fifth time to the venice biennale and had been denied and he had this fantastic idea where he was going to take the Australian pavilion, wrap it in chains and, can I swear? Yeah, 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 go for it. In, in his own language, lock every fucker out. And so it was such a great idea and he didn't get it up and he was devastated because, you know, and he said it to me in his own words, like, um, you know, most Aboriginal men of my age don't have many years left. And, you know, I think he saw that as his opportunity to finally do this Venice Biennale. So uh, I often do things like like you're doing now where I hosted an event and I invited everyone from the community to come and hear Richard tell his story. And his sister, his daughter was there, Sarah, and he talked, he talked through the project, through the idea and what he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do was build a replica of the project, put it on a barge and float it around Venice as a protest against what, uh, you know, what he'd been denied to do. And also protest colonisation and protest everything that a lot of, you know, First Nations people from the world have been suffering. And, uh, and so from that night on, we started a campaign to get Richard to Venice. 
and I worked with him and another friend of mine, Caroline Gardam, and we made a series of videos which were 10 steps to breaking down uh, racism and how to be an ally. And we did all sorts of fundraising and we raised a lot of money to get Richard to Venice so he could build this thing. It was really interesting how at first so many people were like, why are you doing that? Like, it's just, you know, you're crazy. He's crazy. It's just not the right thing to be doing. But by the end of it, everyone had come around and they were on board. And then the Ozco gave him money. And, you know, it was like this whole turnaround. And then we actually went to Venice and I was part of the team that went over and he did the embassy, uh, the embassy in a garden. And then the, the pavilion was floating around on the barge. And we had the best parties ever, but also what was fantastic in embassy and what that's part of what the great work that Richard does, he invited all these other First Nations activists to come and be part of the conversation. So there was a um, fantastic person like from uh, an Inuit woman and there was some um, Sami artists and there were also a Mohican artists and a Palestinian artist. And, yeah, and I got to interview all them afterwards. So. It's sort of like, again, the conversation, I always get to continue the conversation outside the, outside the circle, outside the tent, outside the room, so that the rest of the world can connect with it. So that's kind of my, I'm the conduit in a way. And so that was an incredible experience. And, um, and we, me and Richard are still great mates. Like he just donated a piece to my fu a fundraising auction I had last week. And, you know, he's fantastic. I love him. And he just had a show at the Tate Modern, for God's sake. You know, he's a superstar. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I That's know. incredible. Yeah. he's And he's just about to have his 70th birthday and he's opening his show at the Milani Gallery on the 15th of December on his birthday. Wow. So, yeah, he's inspiration plus. And I, the thing I learned for him, and this is what I say to all other creatives, is you do not wait for permission. You do not need permission. You need to, you just go for it and see what happens. And that's always stuck with me. And he was like the person that taught me that. Don't hang around waiting for permission. Get out there and do it and just go for it. Yeah, I think mm. that's awesome. I mean, especially as like a self-taught artist myself. I mean, I never had the confidence to go to art school, mostly because with my education and having ADHD, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not going to fit their criteria box. And so I kind of did that a bit. I was like, I don't need permission to become an artist. You know, my grandfather's yeah. an artist. My dad's an artist. I can become an artist. <laughs> like, Good on you. That's great. Yeah. And you are an artist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. And I was saying in a, another conversation with someone else um, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, when I was first in New York being mentored, they were like, you just have to tell people you're an artist. Like, mm. you're not a retail worker like you're mm. an artist and so it felt really weird saying it but now when i say it to people it's like oh yeah i am an artist i've been doing this for nine years like it makes sense <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and i love that you're doing this as well like you're evolving your practice you love your capacity to create and connect and that's what is so great that's it's so important oh thank you so much beck yeah no i really i started doing this a couple of years ago but then I kind of stopped because I got really bad anxiety like I have mental health issues mm. and um well not issues but mental health stuff that goes on mm. and then I redid it last year 
I was really isolating myself. So I was like, I need to like talk to people and like talk to my community and stuff. Like it's all well and good to have lots of followers and things, but to actually like have a conversation around art and get to talk to people who inspire me like yourself is like mm. incredible, you know. Mm. So mm. Yeah. yeah. Well that well that's kind of what I remember when COVID first hit, um, like you and like everyone, we lost all our work overnight. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, I freaked out, like everyone. And I did this, I made this series called the um, Independent Art Artist Survival Series. And mm -hmm. I interviewed a person every day for, I think, 30 or 40 days. But oh artists from, from all around the world about what did COVID, what was going on? How was COVID impacting them? How did they see the future? You know, and that was really such a valuable collection of interviews. And um, yeah, similar, I just had to connect and I just had to set myself a, t a task because I wasn't locked, lo locked down. It was such a great thing to do. And it gave everyone opportunity to share what was happening for them at the time. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, I wish I was at that mental capacity during COVID, but like you said, you know, overnight everything was just kind of like swept off the table and then you weren't really sure if there was a table anymore yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> um all right so i have two last questions about your yep. background and then we're going to get into the politics of things oh okay so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a big politics head by the way so if i'm not going to be a hard interviewer but just let you know that we are getting there. So yeah, great. Sorry, tell us more about Pops Art, Arts Media, and how did this come about? I think you kind of gave us like a little bit of a brief, mm. like introduction to it. But if you can go a little bit more in depth about it, yeah. So, um, I okay, my marriage broke up, and mm -hmm. I needed to make money, and I tried to. Um, and I had two little kids; they're only twelve twins. And so it was pretty crazy times and very hard times. And I tried doing, um, the options were either go and work in real estate <laughs> yes. or um, I had to come up with a plan really fast. And I realised that what I'd done with Love TV, which where I was interviewing people about love in this big hot pink TV on wheels and going around the world and that, that I could do it through my phone for free. And so I thought, well, why don't I just start going into galleries at exhibition openings, interviewing artists live, obsessed by live Facebook, still am. <laughs> I love it. I just can't get enough of it. And because I'd been doing, um, I did five years of radio at Triple Z on, with Quentin mm -hmm. on um, Quentin Ellison, who's still there. Uh, and because I love TV, I had learnt that I could make a piece of media that goes from five to, five to ten minutes that I don't need to edit. So it's like a radio interview, you know. I know how to do that. So I thought, well, mm -hmm. I don't. Then I don't need to pay for production costs because I don't have any money. And so I just started going to every exhibition I could get to and every event I could get to. Interviewed everyone I could, and then I started being paid to do it. And then I started being taken on the road, like by things like Women of the World Festival and. Um, interviewing everyone that was part of it, like almost a live feed back to the world of this, these great events. We went to Longreach and Charleville and Cairns and, um, you know, and that's what I sort of did when I went with Richard to Venice as well. And, you know, I've now interviewed over 600 people uh, over the last six years and it's 
and the state library are probably you know they're going to per like acquire it as a collection part of it because it is this really great social cultural documentation of the the creative sector of brisbane and australia a lot of australian artists that's really unique because it's not in a studio it's not high production values it's it's live in the moment and you can see who else is in the background you know and you can see what's going on and so it's it's it, it documents the ephemeral like all the things that will cease to exist are in these videos so it's mm -hmm. kind of um yeah so again i didn't set out to do that but that happened <laughs> that is so incredible i know i'm quite when i realized i'd interviewed that many people i felt a bit sick i'm like oh my god there's something wrong with me no you're just an extrovert it's all right <laughs> and you can obviously hold a conversation and i mean like how incredible is that like you had this really and thank you for being vulnerable like you had this really shitty situation and you know, it's almost like they always say to me, you know, Maddie, you're planting a seed, but you may not know who will sit underneath that tree. Oh, wow. And I love that. I feel like that's what this is. Like, honestly, because people mm. are going to come back and look at it for years to come. Mm, mm, you know, mm. that's beautiful, though. I love that analogy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, okay. So let's get into politics. So, yes what made you want to get into politics Beck? well i guess everything we've just been discussing you know i've always been really uh dedicated to social justice and um working for first nations people and one of my kids has a disability so i understand how hard it is to um to get by and you know i join i'm in, i'm with the labor party and I would not be here if it wasn't for the Labor Party because they put the best free healthcare system in that I've had to use for the last 18 years. They've got, they put state schools in action and they also created the NDIS, which I also use. So if we don't have these really like strong social structures, it's not a, like, it just makes it harder for a lot of people to participate you know we're just getting by so that's kind of why i'm i guess and then my kids turn 18 and i just thought you know i'm ready to give back like i've kind of done everything i can in other parts of my life like you know i can keep interviewing artists and i will and i can keep making public art and i will and i can keep um you know doing all those things i you know i've done quite a lot of work with homeless people over the last couple of years interviewing their stories and quite a lot of work in the gendered violence space as well. So I'm just kind of was heading to this place in myself anyway. And then um, and then this opportunity came up and I just thought, well, why not give it, why not try? And I've got to say, when it comes to personal developments, if you ever want to grow, do this because you, <laughs> but there is nowhere to hide and there's nothing you can do to prepare yourself for what I'm going through right now. But it is amazing. What has been like some of like the highlights so far of your experience? And if you wanted to share any of like the low, low points, but some of the highlights so far? Well, I guess um, one great thing is I've been able to convert 
and this again i think it's back to my creative i've been able to use every skill i've ever had doing this so my love tv is now the beck macmobile mobile office i've reskinned it it's hilarious it's sitting on peel street and i've been interviewing people in the community about what the issues are and i've been doing um a series on community champions so just celebrating the people of the neighborhood i've been having great conversations and believe it or not i door knock who knew mm -hmm. that i mean if someone said to me a year ago you'll be door knocking i would have died but it's i was terrified but it's actually great I'm, i just love it i've just talked to so many great people and i hear what's going on and i understand you know it's just giving me better insights into what we can do better for the community and that's what yeah. i want to do i guess the, the low lights are uh, I, I live in the gabba wards and it's very it's so hyper political here like if you're running for council i think in a lot of other places you know it's about the rates rubbish and roads if you're running for council mm -hmm. in the gabba ward you have to understand every single thing around every single politicalized pol political ideal that is going on so it's challenging on that level and some people in the community can be quite vicious so you know i wasn't i'm prepared for that but i i'm i don't want i don't like it when people don't like me <laughs> i know <laughs> i think that's why i get so like I'm, I'm 30. I keep thinking I'm a young person, but I'm not. But I think as an adult, that I think that's why I get really weird about politics. Like even with the voice referendum that came up, I had some family members that were going to vote, vote no. Mm -hmm. And I just told them like straight up, I was like, this is a really strong way to say that you're a racist. Good on you. And I know, but it like, it annoyed me so much to the point where like, I was talking to my partner and, and he was like, Maddie, you can't just cut them out because they're voting no. And I'm like, but they're fucking racist. Like, you know. <laughs> and so I kind of just like have no filter. I didn't cut them out. But like yeah. I was on the edge of doing it because like I I know that I can either like just sit in the middle and be okay or I can go like super extreme and get really involved or like not get so extreme that I just like flatline and don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so, so much stuff going on in this world, Beth, oh, like so much stuff. I know. There's so much going on. And and I guess that's why I want to, you know, I have I think I've gone as far as I can in what I do as the advocate and activist I am. So now mm -hmm. I want to be able to step up and be part and be sitting at the table of the people that are making the decisions. And yeah. I think we say something like the Olympics coming in, you know it's going to happen and but we need to harness all that possibility so the community gets what it wants so the creative sector gets what it wants so we get social housing and you know a new school and we get better roads and we get better health and we get do a better job on the environment so you just got to have a big vision and be able to communicate and it's about relationship you've got to be able to negotiate and have relationships and that's what i love to do so who knows? I still have to win. <laughs> what if no well, one you... votes for me? I'll be devastated. No, my heart. I'm not in the Gab Award, but you've won my heart. Um, so tell us some of the ways you'd like to improve uh, the Gabba or Brisbane as a whole. Well, I think um, for the Gabba, you know, it is the biggest, one of the biggest creative economies in Australia. And we don't celebrate that. We don't acknowledge that. We don't acknowledge all the impact that the creative 
economy does for this city. So that's something really important for me. I want to connect it all with really beautiful green boulevards so we can walk around and in the hot summer and we can be connected through this, this neck of the woods. I'm really all for small business. Like I'm a small business owner. Artists are small businesses. So I really want to work with small businesses because they're the heart and soul of the Gab Award and connect like I've got this other project called Chrysalis where I connect artists to business to make experiences. So I want to, you know, revitalize the whole of the Gab Award through through working with artists and small business. And one big thing for me, uh, Madeline, and I'm having an event this Saturday, is how do we make this the safest place for everyone coming up to the Olympics? So for women and children, for gender diverse, for, for men and also, you know, for people with disabilities, like there's um, multiculturalism, you know, like it's safety is such a big thing. But if we come at it from the right angle, it's not about going hard on crime or cops. It's about coming up with community based solutions and urban design solutions that we can all have a safer place. So that's a big thing for me, too. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. Okay, and is that like tapping into like the whole like youth crime thing? I'm not sure if there's much um, youth crime in the ward. It, it's it's not ward. so much about the youth crime thing. It's it's more about you and I walking home yeah. at midnight and feeling safe, yeah. and and being able to do that. You know that that's what it's about, and it's also about um, people who maybe have mobility issues being able to walk down the street without falling down. A pothole well, without you an know? e scooter being in the way. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and it's and it's also about people who are, you know, who come from diverse backgrounds, and who you know, it's kind of that thing about being against gender based violence. So you know, it's safety for all that you can be who you are and who you want to be here in this and, and you're going to be looked after and okay online in your home and on the streets yeah nice i like this that's very nice yeah and if anybody doesn't know the gabo area doesn't have much trees in it which is why i think the tree aspect is really important i think there was a fuel station that was proposed a little bit further down um kind of I think that might be a little bit further than the Gabba as a suburb yeah but it had this tree in there and I think this was like two years ago because mm -hmm. I was living in Fairfield and um it was on one of the community notices and everyone was like no don't knock down this tree this is like the only tree that we like have in like 500 meters like we need this tree oh. <laughs> anyway, I just can't believe it I mean yeah it's like I'm not going to go too into too many politics, but mm -hmm. this place is no greener than it was <laughs> in yeah. the last eight years. So it's, you know, and how easy is it to solve that problem? You just plant yeah. them. I mean, that is really straightforward. We've got bigger issues like homelessness, which are more complex, but planting trees is really basic. And I'm sure we can pull that off really fast. It, it also actually decreases the heat because concrete, it soaks in heat. So everything around it gets hot. So I don't know if you know, but in New York City, 
there was some issue when I was living there about the types of glass that was on the side of buildings mm. because it was actually making the reflecting from the glass to the roads and it was making the roads really, really hot. Mm. And so all the buildings, everybody was just taking on this heat. And there was some, like, I guess, like local government thing going on where they were trying to make all the buildings put this, like, UV protection on the side of buildings. Wow. So that it wasn't going to go onto the concrete and make life really miserable for everybody walking down on the street. Yeah, it's... Yeah, we're in... Is hectic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and there's, we could be doing it so, so, so much better. And so density yeah. done well, like we do need density because we have a homelessness issue and there is a housing crisis, but we've got to do it well. So there's an urban plan and we have the infrastructure to support it. So, and greener space is crucial, crucial. Yeah. I actually just got a 44% increase on my property. <laughs> on your rent? Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Where do yeah, you live? I live in St. Lucia. 45 cents. 44. So, it's yeah, crazy. going up by $150 and Whoa. there's no improvements to the property. I understand that whole housing crisis thing and especially mm. also through my work as well with homelessness. And Beck, how can people connect with you best if they'd like to volunteer or donate? Well, um, they can go, I mean, I'm big on social media. They can go to my Beck Mac for the Gab Award which is my Instagram um, page. And there's also my Facebook. There's also, you know, my Beck Mac studio Instagram. There's my Pops Art Beck Mac <laughs> Instagram. There's my Chrysalis Projects Instagram. Um, you know, it's all there. So that's the best way to connect with me, I'd say, through Instagram. LinkedIn, I'm, I'm big on, on, on LinkedIn. Facebook, obviously. Uh, I haven't really done too much Twitter or um tiktok just haven't mastered yep. it have you can you do tiktok well, yeah i do tiktok yeah um it's more for like young people i think really mm. and it's one of those things that i wished i jumped on like two years yeah, ago exactly exactly Missed but the i mean i try not to live my life around social media anymore like i post when I want to post and if it affects my engagement, then I don't really care because people will come find me if they want to find me. Like I, I can't keep living by this. You have to post three times a day and do this and do that. Like I just, I don't, I don't care anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you know? good on you. Fantastic. You're liberated. Yeah. But yeah, look, if anyone wants to be involved, I'd love them to come. I need as many volunteers because people may not understand this, but when you do this, like you don't get paid and you have to raise all your own money and so you just it's crazy what you have to do <laughs> and so i need all the help i can get but if you want it and you know it's about having fun it's a positive campaign and it's just about making a greater place you know with with the arts and with the environment and with the community at its center so i'd love people to come on the journey come along and be part of it yeah i love this it's amazing and look, you're my first politician on my potty, so I love this oh thing. Oh, my God. Well, I'm honoured. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're just going to wrap things up and I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you a rapid fire of your top five. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. are you yes. ready? Okay. Yes, so I've got to sit up. <laughs> I'm concentrating. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> Who's your favourite visual artist at the moment? Oh, I'm going to have to say Richard Bell. Is it bad? 
No, that's perfect. <laughs> Who are you listening to the most? This could be a podcast or music or both. Um, I'm really into No Doubt at the moment. <laughs> and Rihanna. <laughs> nice. Nice. And what are you reading at the moment or what are you watching? So what I've been watching, oh, look, I've been getting into a lot of um, weird shows that my kids, like Grey's Anatomy and how and house because yeah. my two 18 year olds are watching these series i'm like how do you even know these things exist and then i can't and then because they're on holidays they keep having it on 24 7 and then i keep getting sucked into these weird dramas <laughs> it's very you know, funny i love that i love hospital like dramas <laughs> and them being like get the ekg we need to do a dtb or something and i'm like oh my god exactly <laughs> um, and everyone's looking at each other with these really sort of shocked horrified faces non-stop <laughs> <laughs> and who or what is keeping you inspired i think it is the resilience of humans you know and the resilience of and the capacity for us to work together to make better places like I was, you know, the whole referendum was horrendous, like the crap that we saw and that terrible side of Australia was really revealed. But I still saw there was this really amazing, passionate, caring part as well. And I think, you know, I, I want to focus on that and help that grow because I think that's going to make it a better place for everyone. Yeah, no, definitely. I love that. That, oh my God, the... The next week after the referendum was horrible and because then you had these things happening in um palestine palestine i know it's been a terrible I, time i was just so sad for the world like my heart was so sore that week i was just like what <laughs> like yeah no. yeah and everything that's happening in palestine what has happened here it, they're similar you know it is about colonization and it is about unceded land and it is about all those things so it was so weirdly like aligned at that point it was shocking yeah yeah all right well those are all my questions for you Beck. oh this has been so much fun you're fantastic well done thank you <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate it i've loved it and um yes yeah, so i look forward to hearing it this episode was recorded on yagra and terrible land sovereignty was never ceded the episode was produced by myself madeline butini and if you would like to support 1800 madbutt you can head to my website madbutt.com.au or you can also go to our instagram and follow us there of course we appreciate any reviews so please leave us one if you'd love it and yeah hope to see you again thank you